But you know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, decrees the Lord, plans for welfare or for a future, not calamity, to give you, say give you. It's talking to you, a future and a hope. I love this verse of scripture because it's really revealing God's plan for man. God has a plan for man. He has a plan for your life. That verse of scripture reveals that. Now, in an age within the church where we're constantly speaking judgment over things, it's nice to know that God has a plan not for calamity, but for a bright hope and future. And uh, I sometimes get disturbed about people who are constantly speaking negative words into our nation. And, and, and of course, there's enough disgruntled people out there that will follow that. But I think that God has plans for great awakening revival to come into America. This weekend, I was down in a place called Wachula, Florida. Anybody know where Wachula is? I'm surprised that many people know where Wachula is. You have to want to go there to get there. And I go there at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And I went in, <clears throat> a friend of mine uh, that we're in covenant with, Button Wright, she has what's called 411 Supernatural School of Ministry. They teach Bethel's School of Ministry there. Uh, and they're raising up a powerful, powerful group of people across that region in several counties around that. Uh, Button has come under a lot of persecution from some of the church leaders and the churches within the region because she's doing this outside of the local church. I've tried to be nothing but an encouragement to her because she's doing what the church is not doing. She's equipping people for the work of the ministry. And this is very important. She had a meeting Friday night, and I was the keynote speaker at this meeting. But it was in the most dilapidated church I had ever been in my life. That church would make this church look like the Ritz-Carlton, literally. Everything, the walls were plaster walls, but in the ceiling, there was a big hole with the wooden slats where you stick the plaster to was there. It was on the walls. The carpet was very, very old. Hadn't been cleaned in a long time. Even the pads in the pews, you could tell they were probably turn-of-the-century pads. And, uh, you know, they were dirty, and everything in there was dirty. And it was almost nauseating. And as I'm sitting there, now, she had good things going on. She had an incredible girl leading worship. Uh, Michaela was her name, who just literally opened the heavens. Uh, she goes to attend Southeastern, and, um, and Button and them are just great people. They all do things with a spirit of excellence, but she, she got this facility, and uh, she's friends with the pastor, but as worship is going on, I get caught up in the heavens, and I have an angel visitation. This is my third angel visitation this year. had one during the three days of consecration one in Ohio on uh, April, uh, February the 2nd, and then one this past Friday night. This past Friday night, I began seeing the angels that are assigned to Wachula and Hardy County. This is different. I've never, seen, I've never been in this kind of setting uh, that was going on. And I began to hear the cry and the groan of delay that was coming out of Wachula. I began to hear the cry of the ground, the cry of the atmosphere, the cry of the trees around. I begin hearing the cry of the angels, and they were saying, how long, God? 
And God spoke to me and he said, I have sent you here to restore vision into the region. And that's why God had placed me there. And that message is still resounding on the inside of me. Because one of the things that I'm concerned for, but we can recapture, is that we can recapture the vision that God has for a region and a territory. If we don't recapture it, we won't see that vision come to pass. See, I think things are put off to another generation many times because the generation that God wants to do it in, they put it off. They don't have God's vision. They're constantly wanting to go back to Egypt. They want things to be exactly like it was before, and nothing's ever going to be like it was before. It's a good word. So we try to get things back like they were before, but that's not going to happen. We have to begin grabbing hold of God's vision for today. And I want to read you some things about God's vision. I want you to go in your Bibles. I'm actually going to read this one out of the uh, Passion Translation in Psalms, the eighth chapter. And look in verse three. It's going to read totally different from your Bible. You have the Passion Translation, Psalms chapter eight, three through uh, six. He says here, look at the splendor of your skies. Your creative genius glowing in the heavens. When you look at the day like we have out here today and you walk outside, you actually see a spirit of excellence in the sky. You see a spirit of excellence within the land. And what God has given you a glimpse of, he's actually on a day like today, he's given you a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. Now heaven is going to be far greater. But I I remember hearing yesterday, several times yesterday, one time was in St. Cloud. Cheryl and I stopped and got catfish at the place we met and had catfish. And the lady who was the hostess, she said, why do I have to work on a day like this? She said, it's so heavenly out there. And it is. It's very heavenly out there. However, if you don't have that kind of vision, you never see how beautiful these skies are. You never see how awesome that ocean is. Or if you're living in the mountains like where Vips is in West Virginia, you never see how beautiful that is. My twin boys are there snow skiing right now up in West Virginia somewhere. You never see that. But let's continue to read here because this guy he's talking about in the Passion Passion Translation brings it out with such great passion. When I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings... I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But when I look up and see such wonder and workmanship above, I have to ask you this question. Compared to all this cosmic glory, why would you bother with puny mortal man? Or be infatuated with Adam's sons? Yet what honor you have given to men... Created only a little lower than Elohim. That's another name for God. If your Bible says angels, you've got the wrong translation. It doesn't say angels there. In the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim, meaning God made man a little lower than himself. Stands to reason. We don't worship angels. So he makes us lower than himself, not lower than the angels. Anything that's higher than you are, you worship that. Crowned like kings and queens with glory and magnificence. You have delegated to them mastery over all you have made. 
making everything subservient to their authority, placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. You are the image bearers of the Lord. You're the ones who carry the image of God. What kind of image have you been carrying lately? Because your image is reproduced by not only your countenance, but the words that you speak, the joy or the sadness is in your heart. That's the image you are releasing. When people see you, do they see Christ in you, the hope of glory? Or when they see you, I remember old Pentecostal song they sang years ago, living below in this soul sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. No, I'm living in this world that God created. I'm living in this world that he has made for me. It carries and bears the image of heaven. Although it's in an unredeemed state right now, just like heaven has streets of gold, we have asphalt streets. Just like heaven has a light called the S-O-N, we have one called the S-U-N. Everything in the earth is made in his image and in his likeness. Now listen to this. God has a vision and dream for you, and his mind is filled with mankind. His mind is filled with your welfare and your benefit. We just read this in, in uh, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. If you, were, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus, the third chapter, verses 6, six through 8, the Lord begins telling Moses how he wants to take Israel out of the bondage of Egyptian, the bondage of Egyptian thinking, and take them into a land that flows with milk and honey. He reveals to Moses, this is my dream for Israel. I want to take them out of this bondage where they're making bricks. I've called this group of people to be a royal people unto me, but now they become subservient to everything around. You see, Christianity is not a subculture. We need to grab hold of this. In many ways, we think that we become a subculture. But Christianity are the remnant or a people who affects the culture of the land that we live in. I've been placed here to affect the culture of the land. So have you. And so, but also when you look in Acts, <clears throat> the second chapter, we're going to reveal God's plan from a New Testament perspective. He actually talks about a land that flows with milk and honey, but he does it from a spiritual place. And beginning in verse 16, <coughs> but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, prophesy, say prophesy. That's me. That's you. Your young men shall see visions, say, that's me. And your old men shall dream dreams, say, oh, me. <laughs> I'm right in between the two, okay? I had a vision and a visitation Friday night, but I also have dreams. He says, even upon my bond slaves and both men and women, I will put in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that who, everyone who calls <clears throat> on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here he's revealing his plans for a massive awakening revival in this world that began on the day of Pentecost that we're reading about right now, but it hasn't stopped. It's continued all the way up to this day. These are plans that God has for this region. He has a future and a hope for this region. But I have a concern also that this region has lost the dream of the Lord, that maybe you have lost your dreams, that you're not dreaming with him anymore, that you're not dreaming with the plans that God has. And God wants us to shift gears and begin dreaming his dream and begin planning his plans and begin seeing his vision that he has for your region, for your family, for your household, for your state, for your nation. God has great things in store for this nation. You may look at the nation with the wrong kind of vision. You may say America's going to hell in a handbasket. It is really terrible. I've never seen it this bad in America. I understand what you're saying, but you're also looking with only one set of eyes, and that's the eyes of the natural man. You need to begin looking with the eyes of the spiritual man and begin seeing God's plan for America, that he has a huge future and a hope for this land, and that future and hope includes you. <coughs> it includes you. It's not a, without you. It includes you. And let me say this, and this is not to be a cut down on anyone. God's going to do what he wants to do on the Space Coast, even if he has to do it without you and I. We need to get hold of that. He's going to do it whether we, whether we want to do it or not. God ha has given this region probably the most tremendous opportunity in the history that you know of in this region. And it would be so easy, and I'm going to share with you how all this takes place. It would be so easy to let, let that slip out of our grasp. And this is what had happened down in Wachula. The angels of the region began to surround me and they were waiting for the decrees of the Lord to be spoken over the region. I heard the groaning of delay coming out of Wachula, and I hear it coming out of this region this morning. That there's a groaning of delay. There's a groaning of promises that have been put off. Not because God's put them off, but because we have not held fast to his promises. Where it says in Isaiah 40, verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That's the word, Hebrew word for wait there is not the word to sit down and wait. The Hebrew word there is kwava. And it actually means to bind yourself to the Lord. You bind yourself to him. You bind yourself to his plan. You hook yourself up to him. <clears throat> There's a whole reason why he told Hezekiah in Israel 
in Isaiah 40, 31, why he said that to them. And if you ask me sometime, I'll tell you later. It's a whole huge story behind that. Had to do with Sennacherib and his army that was destroying the entire nation of Israel. And it wasn't until that word came that the shift took place. Say a shift took place. And Israel won. Go with me to now to Proverbs 29, 18. Many of you know this scripture. How many of you know what it says? In the spirit you do? How about saying it then? Yeah, you finally found it. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. One translation says where there's no prophetic revelation. And that word vision right there in the Hebrew is the word chazan. And it actually means dream or revelation or oracle. Where there is no dream, where there is no revelation coming forth, the people cast off restraint. I live my entire life out of the dream, revelation, prophetic realm. In some way, form, or fashion, I'm always looking for what the Lord says. Whether he says it to me, whether he says it through somebody else, where it's a confirmation, or whether he says it through this written word here. I'm always looking for what the Lord is dreaming and what the Lord is saying. But where you don't have that, people cast off restraint. So once you get a picture of this, I walk into this facility known as a church, although it's really not a church. We're the church. But for those of you that want to hear that called church, I'll call it that. Walk into this church, and there's holes in the ceiling. People have cast off restraint. There's holes in the wall. People have cast off restraint. The floor is dirty. People have cast off restraint. The pews have dirt in them. People have cast off restraint. They've not held hold of that vision and dream that God has for them. And... Even church property reflects your vision. It reflects your hope. It reflects your future. It reflects, even your home that you live in reflects your future, reflects your hope that you have. And so people cast off restraint when there's not prophetic revelation. We need prophetic revelation flowing into our life. This is something you need to be seeking for every day of your life is to hear the voice of the Lord. Whether it comes directly to you through someone else or through something in the newspaper or through the Bible or through somebody's preaching, you need to be listening for the voice of the Lord every day of your life. And don't try to conjure something in your mind either. I tell people all the time, when I get a prophetic word, just like I got a prophetic revelation and had that vision, that message Friday night gushed out of me. I didn't have to think about where I was going. It was like a geyser going off on the inside of me. There was no thought process to it. I just began prophesying what I saw. I'm prophesying to you this morning what I see on the Space Coast. 
that God has a vision and a plan and a purpose for this region. This region has been marked for revival. This region has been marked for awakening. This region is to know and see a harvest of souls across this region. But if you and I have the wrong kind of vision, we will lose hope. We will lose the hope that God has upon that promise and upon that vision. Wow. Look in Proverbs 13, verse 12. How many of you know what it says? He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire is a, fulfilled is a tree of life. I want to read it again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. See, hope is directly tied into faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In that same scripture, I think it's verse 6, it says that without faith, it's even impossible to please God. Hope and faith are two power units tied together that if you don't have hope, you don't have faith either. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. See, I hope for a day. And I, don't, I, I, I know in my spirit that we're in the days of awakening revival. I spoke with Tim Sheets yesterday because he's always having angel visitation. This is Dutch's brother. And he was just on the set of Sid Roth recently along with the oil, the oil coming out of the Bible people and the other guy up there that has the baptism of fire going on in his church up there in Georgia. And Tim told me, he said, Ken, he said, the angels of God filled the TV studio. And I said, you've got to be kidding. I've been on a bunch of TV studios. I've had the presence of God filled, but I've never seen it filled with angels. Not that one is better than the other, because you have the presence of God with both of them. He said, yeah, the, he said, angels filled that place. And he went on to say, he said, something huge is about to happen. Everything has accelerated. There's momentum now. I, I'm trying to be nice. The only, the only way you will mess this up is you have to try hard to mess up what God is getting ready to do. You will have to try real hard to mess this up. You'll have to just decide, I don't want any part of this to mess this up. And you're not going to mess it up for my life. You're just going to mess it up for yours. Because I'm going to get it anyway. I learned a long time ago, there's some that will go with you and some who won't go with you. Quit trying to minister to those who won't go with you, and you just keep moving forward. I feel like doing a little dance right there. <laughs> Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfill. When faith and hope connect... And that desire begins coming forth. It says right here that it becomes a tree of life. 
You want to know why a lot of people, we've been talking a lot about this tree over the past year, why they can't go where God wants to go is they've been eating from the wrong tree. They've been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I watch sometimes, I don't watch much Christian TV because most of it on there is not worth watching. And I don't listen to all Christian radio because some of the songs they sing are not spirit-filled. They have no prophetic edge to it. One of these days, I'm going to create an internet radio station. I've had this in my heart for ever since internet was created. I just need somebody that has the brains and the knowledge and people to help me do it. To where there's nothing but people on there singing prophetic music. You have people on there preaching and prophesying like Dutch Sheets, Chuck Pierce, uh, Cindy Jacobs, Jim Gall, and the list goes on and on. That 24 hours a day, this is going on. This is being broadcast into the atmosphere and the airways of the Internet. And you can turn in on, tune in on your phone. You can turn in on your TV. You can turn in on your laptop. You can tune in on your iPad and listen to it anytime you want to. As a matter of fact, Pam's daughter, is it Lauren? She'll tell you, how many CDs do you listen to today? None. Because you download everything, don't you, that you want to listen to. You download it electronically. See, it's just you and I that haven't caught up with the times of what God is doing now concerning the release of the Word and the release of music. We do everything by CDs, but now God has moved us from CDs all the way into to, uh, electronic technology. And I'm, I'm still behind, but I'm trying. I'm trying to move forward. Bryant came in the office the other day, needed to do something on my computer, and it was, say, he was saying, this must be an old computer. I said, well, it can keep up with me. <laughs> time to upgrade. Thing is, it's not but two years old. By the time you take the computer off the floor, it's already obsolete. Something else has already come out. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we wonder why are so many people sick spiritually, sick physically. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and I would encourage you to get the book, Switch on Your Brain. She says up to 70% of all disease is caused by the way that we think. Even the genetic ones that have passed through the generation, and she, she actually says that even if a disease is passed from your parents to you, by the way that you think, you can change and alter that gene in your body. That's wild. And she ties it into the Word of God. Now she's going to be in Kissimmee here real soon. I don't know. You remember when it is, Patty? Uh, you better be sure I get there, Okay. Because I want to go hear her. She's going to be like three days in Tampa. But God is right now moving into a time. And I want to show you now why, why time gets altered. Why hope gets altered. Turn in your Bible to Daniel 7. Now I, want, I, want you, I want to take you out of your eschatology for a moment. Because I'm not going... To talk about rapture end times here. I want June 9th in Kissimmee. 
Remember that, Cheryl. I'm going to put that on my calendar. Thank you. I want to take you out of your eschatology and thinking about because every time in the past people have read Daniel, they've talked about the end times. I want to show you the spirit of the Antichrist that is against you and against God. Verse 25. And he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in time and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now listen to that for a moment, because the Lord here is showing you the thinking of the spirit of the Antichrist. This is very powerful scripture here. King James says that he persecutes the saints. But in the Hebrew, it actually means to wear them out or wear them down. So if he, can, if he can make enough things happen in your life, or if he can cause enough church splits, then all of a sudden he wears down the saints, and when the saints get worn down, they have no hope. Hope gets deferred because they, they, they still haven't held on to the promises because all of these things have happened to them. Cheryl and I have a dear, dear friend um, that lives in Donaldsonville, Georgia. He and his wife have supported Forerunner Ministries monthly for 15, 20 years. And about two years ago, he came down with a stroke. He recovered from that, but then his wife got into ill health. And she um, died about a month ago now. And I remember calling him when she died and then calling him after she died. And I would have been to the funeral had it not been on a Sunday. And I called him after she died, and after she died, I noticed a slurring in his speech. And I said, Arden, are you okay? And he said, yeah, the doctor said I've got vertigo. Well, he didn't have vertigo. He is now in a rehab place over in Tallahassee. He has some kind of disease, and I'm not sure what it does, but now, now he can not walk. He, he just now started feeding himself after being in there for two weeks. Just now began to feed himself. When I, when I spoke with him last week, he could barely hold the phone. He dropped it several times in our, con in our conversation. And Cheryl and I yesterday called him on our way back to Satellite Beach. Called him, and we just began prophesying and praying and speaking into his life the life of God. I began saying over Arden, Arden, I decree that you will recover. I said, Arden, I do not believe that you're going to succumb to this. I believe that you're going to overcome this. You see, whenever you get hit, you need to call an overcomer. Don't call somebody in the same pity party you're in. Because you just join, join in with them, and then two people are going to have a pity party. You need, to, you need to find you an overcomer. Not somebody who's going to agree with your sickness Find a warrior. Find somebody who's going to fight for you. I've often said, I, I, and I, it's true, I don't know of anybody that has more faith and will fight than my wife. I, that's everybody here, everybody I run with. Chuck Pierce, I tell you, she has tremendous faith. I've seen, her pro, I've seen him prophesy that to her. And she'll fight. She'll fight in prayer. If you want to fight physically, she'll do that too. Believe me, I know when to stay out of the way. 
But when multiple things begin to hit you, the enemy's entire purpose is to wear you out, get you to lose hope, get you to believe the lie of the enemy, and all of a sudden he's able to do what it says here in verse 25. He will alter a time that a region is to come into revival. He'll alter it because we didn't hold on. Or some pastor had an affair and let us down. We didn't hold on. We stayed depressed after that. Maybe our best friend let us down, and we didn't hold on to the promises of God. You have to hold on to his plan and his purpose. And when you and I stand before him and we start making excuses, these are the words you're going to hear him say, my grace was sufficient for you. See, there's not going to be any excuses why we don't fulfill God's plan for our life when we stand before him. You'll be saved. You'll get in there. But I'm telling you, he wants you to have a crown when you get there. Amen. He wants to alter the time. When he alters time, he alters vision. When he brings so much despair into your life, you begin losing your vision. You begin, you begin not fully engaged any longer. It's like, kind of like with the Lord and with church, it's kind of almost like a husband and wife. You can tell when a husband and wife begins to drift apart, they're not engaged anymore. They're not in love anymore. Well, they love each other, but they're not in love. You know what I'm talking about? And they're just kind of growing distant and distant and distant and distant and distant. Probably one or maybe both of them has something against the other. That, and, and, you know, when I counsel couples who want to get married, I ask them, what would you change about him or what would you change about her? her? And when they give me a list, I'll say, I'm not doing the marriage until all of this is resolved. Won't be any marriages, will it? <laughs> the thing is, is that Cheryl has to accept me exactly the way I am. And I have to accept her just the way that she is. Otherwise, marriage is going to be very frustrating. See, God wants you to approach him not in perfection, just the way you are. And you begin delighting in him. And I'm talking a lot about Cheryl today, but she is my main squeeze. When she walks into the room, my eyes light up. There's times I'm standing right there in worship, and she'll slip in a little bit late, and I'll smell. And that doesn't bother me. Some of you, that bothers. It doesn't bother. No. doesn't bother her. I've learned to live with it. I don't fuss about it anymore. Now, you're right, you know that's true. I know, but I don't fuss about it. But anyway, whenever, whenever she slips in behind, I know she's there. One of the reasons I know she's there, I smell the Shalimar. The Shalimar aroma floats through the atmosphere and finds my nose. And I know she's there, and my whole spirit lightens up and my wife is here she made it and uh or whenever i'm gone and i used to travel telling somebody for the last 
for, well, for 18 years, I traveled every weekend. I was going, driving three to six hours away every weekend. And I'd get home and somebody would say, we're having a revival over here in Tampa. Why don't you come and be with us? And I'd say, no, thank you. I'm just going to sit right here. I've traveled most of my life. It doesn't, you know, and I've, I've been around all the big names. It doesn't thrill me, the big names. I go places because of the Lord telling me now to go. But when I would come home and walk in the door, she's there to meet me. And, and she comes up and puts her arms around me. And I am so glad to see her. My countenance becomes lighter because I'm still in love with her. I have vision of our life together still, even though both of us are approaching refirement age. Not retirement age, refirement age. We're not going to grow weary and sit down when we hit the refirement age. We're going to refire and keep going. I was telling Michaela and her fiance the other night, they'd both been a part of Southeastern. I was kind of giving a little testimony. I said, I'm so glad I didn't go there. And uh, they both kind of laughed and, you know, and I said, you know, it's true. And they both nodded their heads. And uh, the reason is that Bible college doesn't prepare you for ministry. It gives you information, but it doesn't prepare you for the day-to-day thing of being a pastor or being a leader in the church. It doesn't prepare you for that. And I told them, I said, what you need to do is you need to find some man or woman about my age that still has the fire of God on them, just like I do, and connect yourself to them because they've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they've stayed with it because they know how to hold on to the promises. (coughs) Excuse me. Do you know how to hold on to the promises? You know, in our three days of consecration, something thrilled me. On Thursday night especially, was watching all the people. And if you were not here, you missed the Lord. I promise you that. Watching all the people dance before the Lord, people that attend here. And people who are from around the state. We had them from as far away as uh, Crestview, Florida, Pensacola, Miami. Watching the people who are not physically able to dance, dance. Because that fire of God got on the inside of them. People came and testified to me. I'm not physically able to do this, but I did it. Because the hope got built up in their life. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 10. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And again, take yourself out of the eschatology. The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. To have understanding of it, that's, before you ever read it, you have to understand that. There's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Begin in verse 1. He says, and I saw another strong angel. He identified this angel as being a strong angel as opposed maybe to other angels who aren't as strong. 
Angels have ranks and authority, just like you do in the military. There's ranks and authority. There are positions. There are angels that are assigned to this Space Coast region right here. There are angels that are assigned to the St. Augustine region, Tallahassee region, where I was. I met them Friday night. They were assigned to the Wachula, Hartney County region. This was a strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the, and the rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, <clears throat> which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and left foot on the land. And I'm, I'm getting ready to do this prophetic act. I'm going to go out here one day and I'm going to put my one foot in the ocean and one foot on the land. And I'm going to start prophesying. <clears throat> Verse 3. And he cried out with a loud voice, <clears throat> as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. Our days of postponement and delay is over. It's time to step into the glory realm. It's time to move into that place that God has called us to be. Not set out in the outer court any longer. Let's get into the inner court where the presence of the Lord is. Let's get around the tree of life. I've been, we've been too long around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've been too concerned about our wants and needs. We pick from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We eat of it and we throw it to people who like it. And give them some of it. But there's another tree. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents my independence from God. I do this myself. I don't have to have fresh revelation. I can live off the old manna I got several years ago. But the tree of life here represents a total dependency upon the Lord. Around this tree of life, every time you eat a piece of its fruit, joy begins to bubble up out of you. Every time you eat from the tree of life, faith begins to rise up within you. Every time you eat from the tree of life, you're able to prophesy. When you eat from the tree of life, you're able to heal the sick. When you eat from the tree of life, your life begins to prosper because you're eating from the right tree. It's just this old tree over here that causes poverty, causes lack of gifts, Cause us always to be disgruntled, but only because we eat from it. Not because we have a choice, in which we do. We have a choice. Which tree am I going to eat from? Am I going to eat from God's plan for my family, for the Space Coast? Am I willing to get before the Lord and cry out for my prodigals and call their name out in the Spirit? And call them back into the kingdom of heaven day in and day out. Or can I, all I do is think about the woes of my prodigals. The 
It says there will be no delay no longer. Now, King James says that time will be no more, and that's a poor translation. That word time there is the word chronos. And it gives the implication in this verse of Scripture that there, the delay will be no longer. What he's doing there is that the angel is altering time because the enemy brought one time in. He brought a time of despair into the space coast. He causes a split here. He causes a split here. He causes a split over there. A bunch of people leave over here. And all of a sudden, our hope gets deferred. Our heart becomes sick. And he alters the time upon the space coast. Or he alters the time in your family. Every time your kids do something terrible that you don't like, instead of blessing them out or instead of having the woes, why don't you speak life over them? Talek Gilly, who's Wendy's mom, all of her kids are saved. But she never talked to them like they weren't saved. I want you to get that. She never talked to them like they were not saved. She would call her son who's been in prison, who has done drugs, but now is on fire Christian for the Lord and lives in Arkansas. She called him a mighty man of God. She called her daughters who was doing all kind of terrible things. I know because they were in my church. <laughs> she would call her daughters mighty women of God. She wasn't always blistering them with her words, but speaking life into them. Can you imagine speaking to your child who is a prodigal, a sinner, and has done some rotten things, and say, you're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. I see God all over you today. What is what is she doing when she does it? What are you doing when you're doing that? You're taking the fruit from the tree of life and you're throwing it at them. When you blister them with your words, you grab the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh-oh. How does he know about that? I know how we are. And he throws it at the children. It's actually eating from the good side. I'm a good person. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't cuss. I don't chew. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Grab that tree and throw it at somebody. Or grab this tree over here and throw it at them because it gives life. You mighty man of God. I love you with all of my heart. I see God all on the inside of you. Woo! Some of you ought to be up dancing or shouting or something. When we take those words... And do it that way. The delay that has been in time begins to decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease. Some of you here that attend here, this apostolic hub, if you start begin saying, you should see the mighty things that God is doing at Kingdom Gate. Just start saying it out there. Send it out there to your friends. Say it out there to your family. Brother Ken, that's not the way I feel. Go ahead and keep eating from this tree, but I'm going to give you fruit from this tree. It's not what I see, Brother Ken. I want the way it used to be. Keep eating from this tree. Or go over to this tree and grab it and start eating from it. Probably not going to make 12 o'clock today because I'm not done. 
And if you have to go at noon, I totally understand. I'm not leaving yet, yet though. Our dreams and our visions, and you listen to what I'm about to say, every one of you here. Our dreams and our visions are reflected through our actions and our words. When a person walks into that door that you have never seen before, are you quick to go and grab them and hug them and say, man, we're so excited that you're here today? Hello. Some of you are in survivor mode. You survived the storms here at Kingdom Gate. Used to be our father's house and before that, what, First Baptist, I think. You survived those storms, but are you alive? That's what you have to look at. You survived the tabernacle storm, but are you alive? Some of you others, you, you survived the, 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 the revival and in, in charismatic renewal here back in the day in Cocoa Beach and all this region. But hope got deferred. But have you survived? Are you surviving or are you alive? You have to ask yourself this. The Lord rebuked one church in the book of Revelation because they had a name that they were alive, but they actually were dead. Woo! I think it was the church of Sardis. See, the enemies tried to alter time, but God also is one who alters time. He's able to alter time. Look with me to the book of Habakkuk now, the second chapter. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Prophet Habakkuk begins prophesying. And he says, I'm going to get on my watchtower. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm going to get on my guard post. I'm going to get on my watchtower, and I'm going to station myself on the rampart. I'm going to put myself into position here that God's called me to on the space coast or in the nation. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Now here the prophet thought that he was about to be rebuked, but he wasn't. He was about to be given vision. See, a lot of us have eaten from this tree over here for so long that all we can think about is God rebuking me. That he really doesn't love me, so I get rebuked all the time. Some, some people think God's mean. They view him that way. They view God as being mean. But he's not a mean God. He's a loving God. He's a good, good God. I used to love to listen to Oral Roberts years ago on TV. He said, today something good is going to happen to you. I love that. Listen. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. He says, get the vision recorded. When Cindy Jacobs was here, she began recording the vision of Florida for us. Not just here. She recorded it here, too. She began opening a scroll of heaven and saying, this is who you are. You're a church called to Florida. You're to be an apostolic center, a prayer center, a training center, equipping center, miracle center. That's who you are. Young worshipers are going to come. And Jane Hammond comes in. Going to be wells of healing, Doug, here. Here comes another scroll. 
Open it up out of heaven. This is who you are. You're a healer. In preparation of going to Spokane, I've been reading again about John G. Lake's life. And one book said that this man knew who the Spirit of the Lord was in him. Said that he knew the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made him free from the law of sin and death. He knew that he had authority over every sickness and every disease. He, he never viewed sickness and disease as being something that came from God. You say it again. And I know we hear it all the time. God must have done that or God did this so that they would do this and yuck. Not true. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a good, good God. But John G. Lake knew that. He knew that God was a good God. He acted like God was a good God. He prayed for people as if though God was a good God. He wasn't looking at people's faults and their, their things that go on in their life. He took the word of God and applied it to them. And saw thousands upon thousands healed. Listen to this. Let's go on. Let's get it on tablets. Let's get it on the internet. Let's get it on the iPad. I've got one or two in my iPad. Let's get, it, let's get it on the website. Let's get the words that God has said out where people can read it and begin running with it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. I'm going to tell you tonight, I believe that the Space Coast and Florida and America is in an appointed time right now. I do not believe that what God is talking about is down the road. I believe it's upon us right now. The Bible says right here, it says, this vision hastens toward the goal. It's running toward the goalpost. It's running to be fulfilled. Its desire is to be fulfilled. Did you know the vision of your sons and daughters being saved is desiring in itself to be fulfilled? That's why it needs someone in the earth prophesying to the sons and the daughters, the prodigals, that they're coming back to the father's house. He's looking for someone like you that would begin holding up his oracle in this land and begin speaking for him in this land. We don't speak for Fox News. We don't speak for CNN. We don't speak for uh, uh, Governor Trump. We don't speak but any, for anybody except the kingdom of God. That's who we speak for. We speak for another kingdom. You and I have been sent from heaven. I wasn't sent from Alabama. I did come from Alabama, but I've been sent by heaven into a state called Florida. It's mine. I bleed Florida. Sure, and I watched Braveheart again yesterday, and I love the Irishman in that movie. The Irishman, because I'm Irish as well, that's my descent. How many Irish folks we have in here? Oh, a good number. Top of, uh, did they say top of the morning to you? I don't know. That may be Australian. But the guy who came from Ireland, his name was Stephen. And he said, I own Ireland. He said, that's my island. He felt like it, that he owned it. Felt like that it was his, and he had been sent from the Lord to go and help William Wallace, to help keep him from being killed and help him to win wars. And 
You need to have some ownership of where God has placed you. Because without ownership, you can't have vision. So many people have their emotional bags packed. They, they want another church. They want another pastor. They want another life. They want another spouse. They want another city to live in. But when they go there, they repeat the same things over and over and over again, all because they're eating from the wrong tree. See, this, we're, we're moving into an appointed time that's going to require us to eat from a tree that's filled with life, not filled with death. We're in an appointed time right now. In, in, in the New Testament, there are four Greek words for time. Dutch does a much better job than I do in talking about this, and I'll have to tell you that I learned all of this from him. But there is the word kairos, which all of us should know. What does kairos mean? Thank you, Cheryl. Opportune time. It's a time of opportunity. It's a time when you act. It's a time when you move. You don't hesitate. When an opportunity comes along, sometimes it has a window that it's in, and you have to act right then, or bam, that window's gone. That's an opportune time. If I had been giving out $100 bills this morning beginning at 10 a.m., and I was going to give out 10 of them, and I told you about it, you'd have been lined up at that door. Waiting to, you probably would have come spent the night. <laughs> Baby, you can have my hundreds anytime. <laughs> you would have lined up at the door because when those $10 bills are gone, you lost the window of opportunity. Ten $100 bills gone. You lost the window of opportunity to step in and seize. Carpe diem. To seize the day. Or seize the moment. Goes on here to say. And let, me, let me finish the rest of the words. There's kairos. There's chronos. Which is chronological time. C-H-R-O-N-O-S. It's time that's measured on a chronometer. Or a calendar or a sundial. That's chronos time. Chronos time has more, no moral impact in itself except it embraces all the other times because all the other times happen in chronos time. And some of you are looking at, looking at me like a newborn calf looking at a barnyard gate. See, God doesn't do time linearly, we do. He does time in cycles and seasons. He even said it in Genesis 8, 22. From now on, there'll be summer and winter, cold and heat. He was talking about cycles and seasons. And when Kairos comes, it's an opportune time, but it's right in the middle of a chronos. Then there's the word plerao, P-L-E-R-O-O, and it's fullness of time. When it says in the book of Acts that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's the word plerao, fullness of time. It has to do with harvest. It has to do with something happening right now. And then there's horaios, time, which means right time. It's found in Acts, the third chapter, where the man was laid daily at the gate called Beautiful. 
He'd been lame from his mother's womb, and he was placed there every day. Nobody, he had to have people help him all the time. But the word there for, uh, for horaios, right time, is the word beautiful. It doesn't mean beautiful except what's going to happen during that right time. See, the reason he was placed daily at the right time gate was a prophetic sign to, the, to all the world who have read it up to this point and saw it that day, that Jesus walked past this man and never healed him because Jesus was waiting for the right time. When James and John, filled with faith, filled with the Holy Ghost, going up to prayer at the ninth hour and getting there and seeing this guy there who's asking for alms, begging, holding. This is the way they used to do up in Birmingham, Alabama. They had a tin measuring cup, and they'd have a few pennies in there, and they would shake it like that. Sometimes they were blind. I didn't know what to think about that when I was younger. I was a little kid and saw that quite often. And, uh, but this guy was like that. He was begging for alms, begging for money. He was at that place where people were going in, hoping, uh, uh, you know, at the, the, the synagogue, hoping that he would get some benevolence from somebody who's going in there. So he was sitting at a right time gate. And Peter and James come by there and they said, we don't have any money. But what we do have, what I have on the inside of me, Peter said, what I've got in me, I'm going to give to you. And this is, when, this is when you have to know the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. This is when you know that Christ's life is living inside of you. That which is in me, I'm going to give to you. You wouldn't hear that in the church today. Matter of fact, we would call it pride if you heard that today. But back then it was called faith. Let me say it again. If somebody come up here and I started speaking to him, I said, listen, what God has put in me, I'm about to give to you. Some people couldn't handle it. They would say, what, what's he got in him? I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm filled with faith. I'm filled with the Word of God. I'm filled with prophetic revelation. I'm filled with the healing power of God. I'm filled with signs and wonders and miracles. What's inside of you? Jesus is in me. And he gave this man Jesus. He gave him a miracle. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy didn't move. And so Peter exercised his faith even some more and grabs him by the hand and lifts him up. Get up from there. And the man goes to walking and leaping and praising God. Thank God that Peter didn't fall down in a pity party there with him. Amen. All right. I'm going to try to bring this to one of my many closings. This appointed time vision is hastening toward the goal. In the book of um, Jeremiah, the first chapter, the Lord says there, I hasten my word to perform it. It's a Greek word for watching. watching. God is watching over his word to perform his word. But it goes on to say here, it hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. And I promise you what God has planned for your prodigals, what he's planned for your sons and daughters, what he's planned for this region, it will not fail. It's going to happen. Will you tap into it? Will you be a part of it? Will you lay aside disbelief and doubt and grab a hold of faith and begin decreeing what God says over a region and territory? 
It says there, though it tarries, quava. Wait for it. Now, I've mentioned this verse of Scripture or this word, Hebrew word, earlier. Anybody remember what quava means? The word wait. Bind yourself. It actually means to tether your arms. In Isaiah 40, 30, 31, you tether your arms to the Lord. Here, you tether your arms to the promise. Though the promise or the vision tarries, wait for it. Tether yourself to it. Hold on to it. Because this is why. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. I'm telling you, we're in a season right now that there is no more delay. Stand to your feet. 